Can you imagine what Pentecost sounded like? Luke tells us it was like the rush of a violent wind and then every language known on the face of the earth being spoken all at once. In seminary, I was given the assignment of writing a sermon about Acts 2, 1-21. through And like most seminarians, I believed I had quite a superior grasp of the English language. When I got my paper back, I saw one word circled in red ink. Cacophony. Cacophony means a harsh, discordant mixture of sounds. And there was a note. Cacophony? Question mark. The Spirit would have sounded so good to those who heard their language spoken. In my careless word choice, I described what happened on the first Pentecost no better than those scoffers in the crowd. Scoffers who dismissed the disciples' speech as slurred nonsense because they didn't understand it or because, perhaps, they were threatened by it. What my professor was trying to get me to understand was that what sounded like a cacophony to some was for others the sound of God speaking the language of their hearts in a place where they didn't usually hear their language spoken. If you've traveled abroad in a place where they don't speak English, you might be surprised at the sudden feeling of comfort, even joy, when someone somewhere close to you begins speaking English, especially in an American or a Southern accent. If you live in this country and English is not your first language, you might be suddenly surprised with comfort and joy at someone speaking Spanish. For language is not just a means of communication. It's an intimate connection between its speakers. When Jenny and I adopted our son Judah from China, we spent two weeks there. And we had interpreters with us almost all of the time. But when we were on our own, it was bewildering and a bit terrifying to try to order food off of a menu with no English characters, much more to try to board a train with no English on the marquee. The only Chinese words we knew were ni hao, which means hello, and xia xia, which means thank you, which we found that we pronounced incredibly badly because our interpreter said, no, 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 it doesn't sound that way. On the day that we met Shui Xuan, which is Judah's Chinese name, our interpreter took us to a government office to wait. And two nannies came with two little boys, and they brought our boy over to us, and they spoke to him in Chinese, and he spoke to them back in Chinese, and it sounded like a cacophony to me. We didn't know what they said, but based on their smiles and their baby talk and their pointing, they were saying, this is your mommy and daddy. And based on his screams and his cries, he was saying, no, it's not. Our interpreter was there to help us translate, but she was mostly busy speaking to government officials on our behalf. We were mostly on our own, desperately wanting our boy to come close to us and play with us, trying to say the Chinese words we found on Google Translate on our phone, listening intently to his words and their words as if by sheer will we might understand something. After a long afternoon, the paperwork was done 
and it was time to go. And he cried and screamed and said things to his nannies and they said things to him. And we carried him to the car screaming and crying, trying to comfort him with English words he could not understand. And as we got into the cab, Jenny said, well, put, put some music on. And so I hit shuffle on my phone. And by chance, we heard the voice of James Taylor. As Judah fell asleep, we looked at each other with tears in our eyes. It probably sounded like a cacophony to that cab driver, but to us it was the music of our hearts and our mother tongue. It was the voice of a fellow native son who carried memories like the UNC Clefhanger singing Carolina in my mind at Eve Carson's funeral and at our graduation. And it brought memories back like dancing with my mother to how sweet it is to be loved by you at our wedding reception. In that faraway place, in James Taylor's voice was the voice of God saying, I love you and I'm with you in a language we could understand. That was part of the miracle of Pentecost. That Jews who were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya owned by Cyrene and visitors from Rome and Cretans and Arabs all heard God's deeds of power spoken in their languages. I mean, this is a miracle of epic proportions, hard for us to understand. We live in a world in which the Bible has been translated in every language in the world. And all of these translations can be found easily on the internet in a matter of seconds. We live in a time in which it's easy to find a church in person or online that speaks whatever it is that is our mother tongue. But for these Jews visiting Jerusalem, it was understood that God spoke in Hebrew and not in their native languages. Hebrew was the language of the Scriptures and the language of worship in the temple and the synagogue. They might have heard some preaching and teaching in the street in Greek or Aramaic, the lingua franca of that region, but they probably just understood enough of these languages to do business and to get by. But of course, their most intimate thoughts and hopes and dreams and prayers and conversations with the people that they most loved were in their mother tongues. Can you feel the distance between the language of their hearts and the language of their religion, the supposed language of their God? But on Pentecost Day, God sent down tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit, to close that gap, real or perceived, between them and the God who loved them, to make sure that they heard God's love in the language of their hearts. As Peter told the crowd, the prophet Joel's words were becoming true, the Spirit of God was being poured out on all flesh. But like I said earlier, this was only part of the miracle. It was the second part, in fact. The first part was when the Spirit came, came it enabled those Galilean disciples to speak in languages that even seconds before they would have considered foreign. In his commentary on Acts Dr. Willie James Jennings titles his section on this story, The Sound of Intimacy. He writes, There comes a crucial moment in the learning of any language if one reaches to, wishes to reach fluency. 
that enunciation requirements and repetition must give away to sheer wanting. Some people learn a language out of gut-wrenching determination born of necessity. Most, however, who enter a lifetime of fluency do so because at some point in time, they learn to love it. They fall in love with the sounds. The language sounds beautiful to them. And that love is complete. They fall in love with its original signifiers. They come to love the people, the food, the places, the faces, the plans, the practices, the songs, the poetry, the happiness, the sadness, the ambiguity, the truth. And they love the place that is the circled earth those people call their land, their landscapes, their home. If you speak a language, you speak a people. God speaks people fluently. And God, with all the urgency that is the Holy Spirit, wants the disciples of His only begotten Son to speak people fluently too. This is the beginning of a revolution that the Spirit performs. Like an artist drawing on all of her talent to express a new way to live, God gestures the deepest joining possible. One flesh with God and desire made one with the Holy One. In this way, the disciples speaking other languages was not just a means for the, list, the foreigners in their midst to gain a simple understanding of their message, but rather an invitation from the Holy Spirit to be fluent in people as God is fluent in people, to be joined with other people as one flesh out of many, just as God desired to be joined with them, not by their own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how might the Holy Spirit be inviting us to be fluent in people as God is fluent in people? How might the Holy Spirit be inviting us to be joined with other people as God desires to be joined with all of us? It might be through learning another language. You know, Virginians speak many languages besides English, and I'm not just talking about Appalachian and Piedmont and Tidewater or Caswell County or Rockingham County. I'm talking about Spanish and Vietnamese and Chinese and Arabic and Korean. My friend Heath in college learned Arabic so that he could build a relationship with Iraqis when he deployed to Iraq. This week, our children will be learning words in Romanian so they can better connect with our friends at Project Ruth in Bucharest, Romania. Perhaps the Spirit might be leading you to learn another language, to remove a barrier to a relationship between you and another person or group of people. But maybe there's another kind of fluency, another kind of joining God wants to accomplish between us through the power of the Spirit. Today we live in a country in which almost all of our public discourse is in English, but yet we still can't understand each other. Jonathan Haidt talks about this reality in a recent essay. He compares Americans in 2022 to the people in the aftermath of that story about the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Do you all remember that from Sunday school? The peoples of the earth and their pride and their hubris decided they would build a mighty city and a tower all the way to God. 
And God heard what they were planning to do and confused their languages so that they couldn't understand each other anymore. Haight says, The Tower of Babel is the best metaphor I have found for what happened to America in the 2010s and for the fractured country we now inhabit. Something went terribly wrong very suddenly. We are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We are cut off from one another in the past. It's been clear for quite a while now that Red America and Blue America are like two different countries claiming the same territory with two different versions of the Constitution, economics, and American history. But Babel was not a story of tribalism. It's a story about fragmentation of everything. It's about the shattering of all that had seemed solid, the scattering of people who had been community. It's a metaphor for what is happening not only between red and blue, but within the left and within the right, as well as within universities, companies, professional associations, museums, and even families. And I would add, sadly, even churches. I don't have to tell you how heartbreaking this all is because we've all experienced it so much in these last few years. Of all people, shouldn't Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit want to do something about this? I do, and I believe that you do too. Hate cites these studies that show that out of thousands of Americans polled, it is only the 6% of us on the far, far right and the 8% of us on the far, far left who really hold the extreme views that make our national conversation so intractable. It doesn't mean that the rest of us don't have real and important differences, but it does mean that we have much more in common than we have been led to believe. Most people, up to 86% of us, are tired of the voices that say that we should be afraid of each other and mistrust each other and fight each other at every single turn. And I don't know about you, but that, those numbers give me hope. Of all people, shouldn't Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit be able to do something about this? Hate identifies the tower that we have created as social media platforms that were meant to connect us, but that have done the opposite which have actually fractured and divided us because their algorithms amplify those messages that make us most angry and mistrustful of each other. And he suggests all kinds of ideas for practical regulations and best uses and best practices. But Haidt also says this, we cannot expect Congress and tech companies to save us. We must change ourselves and our communities. And to me, this starts with not us alone, but with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us hear God's deep desire for all of us. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us see God's deep desire for other people, especially people who are different from us, so that we can share that desire and become connected to them in relationship. This is the only thing that can cut through the cacophony. In this church and in your everyday lives, you have the chance to connect with real people whom God desires and whom God wants you to desire. People who speak a different language to you than you about who this country has been and who it should be. A different language about guns and mental health and school safety. A different language about race and identity and inclusion. A different language on our environmental crisis and our energy needs. 
it may be to you that these issues don't seem like the most important issues. There may be others on your list. Or maybe you think we can be friends without talking about these controversial things. And that might be true. But I believe that our mutual incomprehension, our inability to talk about them is costing lives and costing equality of life. Because it prevents us from making progress on the most existential challenges we face. Challenges that I believe followers of Jesus, of all people, should be interested in solving. And what is just as tragic is that we miss out on relationship with each other. We miss out on a fuller picture of the one whose image we are all uniquely created in, as different as we are. What would happen if we decided to stop calling the different languages others speak cacophony and tried to listen? If we decided we wanted to hear why others believed what they believed? If we got to know the stories that led to their convictions? If we got to know how they grew up? If we got to know what their deepest hurts and hopes really are? If we're being honest, we will never get to full agreement on anything, and that's not the point. But I think we might be surprised at the common ground, the common language we can all share. And we might learn to love each other. And that love for each other might make us want to learn more and more and more. A friend of mine talking about this divide between us said, love isn't going to fix this. But I disagree. Let me tell you what love can do. We had all the best intentions of learning much more Chinese when we met Judah. But I'm sorry to say we haven't really learned much at all. Except that every night when I tuck him in bed, I say, which means, I love you, Judah. These words, which might have been just noise to me four years ago, have become the sounds of intimacy. On the other hand, Judah quickly became fluent in English, yes, because his circumstances forced it, but also, I believe, because of his desire to connect with us, because of his desire to be a part of our family. And so every night he says, I love you, Daddy. These words that were just noise to him four years ago have become the sound of intimacy for him as well. May it be so for all of us. Come, Holy Spirit, cut through the noise. Teach us to hear and speak the universal language, the language of your love that can break down the barriers between us. May it be so. Amen.